I want you to go through the whole Quran with me. Join me at bayina.tv. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ويكلم الناس في المهد وكهلا ومن الصالحين قالت رب أنا يكون لي ولد ولم يمسسني بشر قال كذلك الله يخلق ما يشاء إذا قضى أمرا فإنما يقول له كن فيكون ويعلمه الكتاب والحكمة والتوراة والإنجيل ورسولا إلى بني إسرائيل أني قد جئتكم بآية من ربكم أني أخلق لكم من الطين كهيئة الطير فأنفخ فيه فيكون طيرا بإذن الله وأبرئ الأكمه والأبرص وأحيي الموتى بإذن الله وأنبئكم بما تأكلون وما تدخرون في بيوتكم إن في ذلك لآية الآية لكم إن كنتم مؤمنين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Once again everyone, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته at the end of ayah number 45, Allah was telling Maryam salamun alayha through the angels some of the attributes of Isa alayhi salam besides his name, uh, how he's going to be honored in this life and in the next. Additionally, he mentioned, وَمِنَ الْمُقَرَّبِينَ And he's going to be the, among those that have been brought near. And I mentioned that the use of مِنَ الْمُقَرَّبِينَ in the Qur'an or المُقَرَّبُونَ in the Qur'an is associated with physical closeness or closeness to Allah in the highest levels of Jannah. So for example, عَيْنًا يَشْرَبُ بِهَا الْمُقَرَّبُونَ يَشْهَدُهُ الْمُقَرَّبُونَ You know, أَسَّابِقُونَ السَّابِقُونَ أُولَٰئِكَ الْمُقَرَّبُونَ فِي جَنَّاتِ النَّعِيمِ Multiple occasions when مُقَرَّبُون are mentioned, they're mentioned in the highest of heavens. There's um, an interesting ayah with المُقَرَّبُون again with Isa alayhi salam in Surah An-Nisa. So Allah Azza wa Jal says in 176, وَمَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفْ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ وَيَسْتَكْبِرْ فَسَيَحْشُرُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا uh, Isa himself, Jesus, the Messiah himself, does not shy away from being a servant of Allah, a servant of Allah. Nor do the angels that are the closest, المقربون, meaning the angels that are highest in rank, that are right under the arsh of Allah, المقربون, even they have no hesitation in declaring themselves uh, you know, a, a servant of Allah. وَمَنْ يَسْتَنْكِفْ عَنْ عِبَادَتِهِ And whoever would, you know, uh, shy away or find hesitation in, in being enslaved to Allah, وَيَسْتَكْبِرْ And shows arrogance, فَسَيَحْشُرُهُمْ إِلَيْهِ جَمِيعًا Then he will gather all of them towards him altogether. In this ayah, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions the angels and Isa salam in the same breath and mentions also that the angels are very close to Allah. Even they aren't shy from declaring themselves the slaves of Allah. What would be the parallel between Isa salam and the angels? Of course, from a theological Christian point of view, it's that they, you know, the, the Isa salam is the son of God and elevated and all of that. But the other side of it is there are angels physically close to Allah right under the arsh. And Allah would have raised Isa salam and he's also been physically raised, but him being raised does not make him, still doesn't make him anything more than a abd. 
of Allah. So though that argument is kind of in a beautiful, subtle way mentioned uh, in Surah An-Nisa, which again, it picks up from where this leaves off. So some things about Isa salam here, some more things are in the next surah, in Surah An-Nisa. Uh, the Pharaoh, when he was negotiating how to work with the sorcerers that were, that were hired to uh, undermine Musa alayhi salam, uh, they asked if they can get paid. Uh, are we going to get paid if we're going to win this battle against Moses? He said, yes, and I will make you close to myself. Uh, and this is actually important for the Pharaoh because they were becoming popular. And as they were becoming popular, paying them wasn't enough. Because even if you paid them, uh, then they might still use the money to try to become alternative political leaders to the Pharaoh. Because they became so popular that his governance was actually starting to be shaky. Well, the best thing to do is keep a close eye on them and make them part of the administration instead before they become the opposition. So, إِنَّكُمْ إِذَا لَمِنَ الْمُقَرَّبِينَ And you'll be from those that have been brought close. Actually, there's a duality in the ayah. Uh, the Pharaoh isn't just saying, I'll bring you close to me, keep you as my advisors. Obviously, when somebody comes to him and says, the only way I'm going to serve you is if you pay me. That doesn't really qualify as, you know what, I like you. I'm going to keep you really close to myself because I trust you. No, no, no. I'm going to keep a close eye on you. And the way to do that is to keep you really close to me. So you think you've been promoted. Well, this is the best way of me keeping surveillance on you, right? So that's that physical closeness is actually what's described with the word muqarrabin again. So the reason I'm alluding to that is this was the last attribute this, uh, you know, described of Isa al-Muqarrabin. And he's from those that have been brought close. And it's interesting that the, the him being brought close is mentioned after fid dunya wal akhira. Wajihan fid dunya wal akhira wa min al muqarrabin, which does not limit it to dunya or akhira. It's kind of dunya and akhira both included, and in both cases, in a sense, he's been brought close. In other words, there's a closeness to, to Allah Azza wa physically, even in the life of this world as he's been elevated. And then in the Akhirah, he's from those that have been brought close to Allah because they, he's of the people of the highest levels of heaven. He's the, from Ashabul Jannah, obviously. So it actually has that duality at the end that's possibly suggested also. Now Allah will describe again further, the angels are still talking to Maryam Salamun Alayha about this child that she's going to have. And then she still doesn't understand how this is going to be, you know, how is it her son? And when is this going to happen? He's going to talk to people in the cradle. He's going to talk to people in Al-Mahd. I'm going to explain the word Mahd to you. It's a beautiful word of the Arabic language. Al-Mahid is the original. That's when you form pure butter or foam or froth. Al-Muhdatu min al-ard man khafada fi suhulatin wa The part of the earth or soil that's soft and even, that's actually called Muhda. وَمَهْدُ الصَّبِيبِ الْفَتْحِ مَوْضِعُهُ الَّذِي يُهَيَّأُ لَهُ وَيُوَطَّأُ لِيَنَامَ فِيهِ It's the part of a bed that you put extra, like you take the sheet and you fold it and fold it and fold it until it gets extra soft for a baby to lie on. That's actually what a mahad is called. A mahad is a place of extra comfort for a child that's been especially prepared so they can relax and be comfortable in it. وَامْتَهَدَ السَّنَامِ إِنْ بَسَطَ فِي ارْتِفَاعِ The hump of a camel, when it becomes soft, it's actually also called imtihad. When something has been made soft and gentle, 
um, that it doesn't remain rugged nor dry, rough around the edges. Um, this is this is why when when clothes are you know when clothes are folded up as I was mentioning so that it's soft and gentle for a baby. The idea being whenever a baby is held, there's extra cushioning or cradling or they're they're placed between pillows and things like that because babies tend to roll and then fall off the bed. So you have to put like you know walls on either side. So you have to <laughs> you have to do that for children. So the idea of him being in that gentle care and comfort, filmahad. Allah is telling her that he's going to speak as a baby. Uh, and this is of course in detail described in Surah Maryam. Uh, something that's not found in biblical literature and is exclusive to the Quran. You know, qala inni Abdullah atani al-kitab waj'alani nabiyya waj'alani mubarakan ayna ma kunt wa awhani bis-salati wa-zakati ma dumtu hayyan wa barran bi-walidati wa lam akun jabbaran asiya. The speech goes on, I am the servant of Allah. Allah has given me the book. Atani al-kitab. Listen to this. Atani al-kitab. Allah has already given me the book. Not He will give me. He's already given me. He's already knowledgeable of the law of Allah, meaning Torah. Allah has already taught it to him as a baby. He already knows it. That's just scary. <laughs> and He's already made me a prophet. You know, prophets, they get older, then they become prophets. He says, Allah has already made me a prophet. Allah has you know, counseled me to do prayer and to give zakat. Like I'm, I'm going to be reinforcing these things, salah and zakat. Why is that important? It was actually important to, not only for the Jews to hear, because they had violated those things, but the Christians to hear, because they believe purification is through the blood of Jesus. And he says, no, prayer and purification of wealth, salah and zakat. Like that's how you get purified. You know, uh, your, your monies get purified by zakat and your own selves get purified by salah. And he says, Allah told me to, commanded me to prayer and zakah so long as I'm alive. And he told me to be good to my mother. He told me to be good to my mother. Well, well one day when we study Surah Maryam, I'll share with you, there are pa- passages from the Bible where Jesus is yelling at his mother. Okay, he's being disrespectful to his mother and he's annoyed with his mother. As a baby, he already says, Allah has already counseled me to be good to my mother. That's not going to change. Meaning he's, Allah is defending against the claims that have been made about Isa Which is why, ذَلِكَ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيُمْ قَوْلَ الْحَقَّ الَّذِي فِيهِ يَمْتَرُونَ Occurs in Surah Maryam. This is, this is Isa, the son of Maryam. The word of truth. قَوْلَ الْحَقَّ also means he, is, he spoke the truth and he was the word of truth. Also means this is the true word about him. About which they have doubts. The other interesting subtle thing about his return, because we keep alluding to his return, um, is there Allah said, Allah told me to pray and give zakah so long as I'm alive. And be good to my mother. Why not pray zakah, good to my mother, so long as I'm alive? Right? So, so long as I'm alive, you would expect it goes at the end, because as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be good to my mother. But he says, no, salah and zakah so long as I'm alive. But not good to my mother so long as I'm alive. Why? It's a subtle way perhaps of saying, I'm going to be making salah and zakah and being counseled to it, whether I'm here now or I come back. But when I come back, I may not be, have the opportunity to what? To, to be good to my mother. That's not so long as I'm alive. That wouldn't qualify. That's a separate issue. So <laughs> there's even it's subtle kind of you know, indications in the Quran's language about uh, 
you know, uh, his return yet again. So here we find he's going to speak to people in the comfort of being a baby. And again, that speech is in Surah Maryam, a very beautiful and, and shocking one. By the way, the Quran uses the word mahad uh, sarcastically also. What a terrible place to find the comfort of a, like the cradle or the, 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 the embrace of a mother. Uh, Allah talks about it figuratively as you know how in many cultures they say the earth is a mother. Right, mother earth or mother land or mother country, right? Um, sons of the soil, right? these kinds of expressions. Allah says, Alam najalil arda mihada, right? Didn't we make the earth into a cradle, like the, the embrace of a mother? Uh, interestingly enough, wamahatu lahu tamhida, the the you know, the, this form, the taf'il form is used, um, describing a disbeliever, wattaatu lahu, hayyatu lahu, hatta aqama bi baldatihi mutma'innan. When Allah facilitates and makes comfort and luxury for someone, He calls it tamheed, like He softens it. By the way, in, in Arabic literature, the, the opening of a book is also called a tamheed, like the prelude or the preface is called a tamheed. Why? Because it softens you into the subject, like it eases you into the subject. That's the point of it. Right, so but in in old, you know, in ancient Arabia, they weren't people of books, so they didn't use tamheed as preface of a book. That's not what was happening. But what they did use it for is to create luxury and comfort. So anyway, even as a baby, he's going to be talking to people. In other words, he's not going to miss a moment. He's going to be active from the beginning. وَكَهْلًا And then there's the next word, kahlan. Uh, and kahlan occurs multiple times, like in Surah Al-Ma'idah, إِذْ أَيَّتُكَ بِرُوحِ الْقُدُسِ تُكَلِّمُ النَّاسَ فِي الْمَهْدِي وَكَهْلًا When I aided you with Ruhul Al-Qudus, meaning Allah talking to Isa alayhi salam, telling him, when I aided you with Jibreel alayhi salam, and you were talking to people in mahd, meaning in the cradle, in the comfort of the embrace of your mom, or even, you know, as you lied on, on cushions, and وَكَهْلًا uh, And what's been translated as a mature age. There's interesting literary evidence that kahal is used for an age beyond the 30s. So it's the 40s onwards that kahal is used. And some of our ulama have commented that Isa salam was taken away in his 30s. Like the, the, the crucifixion event is in his 30s. And the word kahal in Arabic is used for someone who is in their 40s or that's, that's, that's surpassed their 30s. So Allah Ta'ala, if that's the reference to his return yet again. Uh, there are other things that I'll highlight in this passage that I see. I haven't read them anywhere else, but they're my own observations. I'll, I'll share them with you when I get there. So let's talk a little bit about kahl. Nabtun kahl, mutanahin. Plants that are kahl are plants that are actually fully matured, that reach their full, full maturity. When you know something becomes complete, as long a tree got as long as it could possibly get. Or a lamp got as brilliant as it could possibly get, meaning it reached full maturity. That's called iktihal. وَاكْتَحَلَتِ الرَّوْضَ عَمَّا نَبْتُهَا A garden is you know, uh, described as having iktihal when its, its plants have been widespread and it's really reached the, 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 the kind of growth that the farmer was expecting it to reach. وَالْكَاهِلُ لِلْفَرَسْ مَرْتَفَعَ مِنْ فُرُوعِ الْكَتِفَيْنِ إِلَى مُسْتَوَى ظَهْرِهِ The horse... You know, there's a certain age, they don't put a saddle on the horse because it's not strong enough. So they check between its shoulders if it can bear the burden and they put the saddle bow on the front of that neck portion, the back of the neck portion, where the major load is dropped. And that's actually called the kahil of the, the horse. 
the kahil of the horse, meaning it's strong enough to bear now the saddle and ride, meaning it's reached the mature age where it can be put to maximum work. Right, that, so we, we get to that point again. Wahu mahmil muqaddami That's what that means. Walil insan and kahil of an insan ma bayna katifehi wahu mausilul unuk sulb and also the, for for people the part between our shoulder blades here that connects the spine to the shoulders uh, that portion is also called that right in the middle is also called the kahil of of people uh, and it's actually where you can carry the most weight. So, you know, those of you that are into working out, when you do squats, you put your weight on the barbell on your kahal, right? So, and that's, you know, people can squat more than they can do anything else, right? Their back is involved, their legs are involved, the entire energy of a human being is involved, and that's, it's, it's centered on the kahil. So, it's when someone exerts their maximum energy that they could have, all the potential stored energy has been used, which is why, um, you know, Hassan Hassan Jabal in his Al Mu'jam al Ishtiqaqi actually says about this word, he says, Buluhul Hay Aqsa Tulihi wa Kuwatihi bi Khuruji Madhuri Taqatihi Numuan. He says, for someone or something to reach the maximum energy or strength that they could possibly have or maturity they could possibly have, and to release the stored capacity that they had, to actually exercise the energy that was stored all along, and now to actually to, to release it uh, entirely. And so, this is why that the horse, you know, that kahal, when it's saddled, is as high as it's going to get. That's when that's uh, um, its maximum. And so he uses words like also the effect of power that has been stored all along, released, unleashed, strength unleashed. Now this is important because, and of course he says at the end, and Imam Razi mentioned this, Ibn Ashur mentioned this, those who have passed their 30s, those who have passed beyond their 30s. وَوَخَطَهُ الشَّيْبُ And the gray hair has now started to show. لِوُصُولِ جِسْمِهِ إِلَىٰ أَقْصَى نُمُوِهِ وَامْتِدَادِهِ حِنَائِذٍ So the, the body has reached full maturity. This is what, why you know, uh, people considered the age of 40 kind of the age of maturity in the, in the Arab lands. And of course in the Qur'an also, in a, in a physical maturity sense and also in a, in, in a mental maturity sense. حَتَّى إِذَا بَلَغَ أَرْبَعِينَ سَنَةً قَالَ رَبِّ أَوْزِعْنِي When a person reaches 40 age, for the age of 40, then he says, Oh Allah, empower me. Oh Allah, give me, give me the capability. Like he's, in a sense, in the Arabic cultural sense, he's reached maximum capability and now he's asking Allah, give me maximum spiritual capability. And so he's, both of those things coincide at the age of 40. It's interesting, this discussion about the age of 40, because uh, we think of youth in the 20s and we think of old age in the 40s now, right? And in, in, in Qur'an, it's, you're just getting started when you're 40, right? Uh, the heaviest burden, I'm just saying that because I'm turning 40 this year, so... <laughs> so, but... Uh, the Risala came at 40, the heaviest burdens given to human beings uh, were given at the age of 40, right? So we have to, this is a, the, the jism, the, the body that Allah gave us, is a gift from Allah and He will ask us about it. And taking care of it is actually an amana. And you know, Your body has rights over you. When Allah says, You will be questioned about the blessings, the gifts that you were given. That includes our own physical bodies. I, I don't own these hands, I don't own these legs, I don't own this neck, I don't own this nose or eyes or whatever. I'll be asked about them. Not just in the way that I use them, but whether I, or not I took care of them. 
even taking care of them. This is part of our amana to Allah. We don't we, when we say inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun, we belong to Allah and to Him we're going to return. Then we've acknowledged that this this you know machine that we are renting <laughs> for free, right, is actually not ours, and it belongs to someone else, and He's trusted us with it. And so long as he's trusted us with it, we have to take care of it. And so, I mean, this is something that we should really think about. When I travel, I've traveled different parts of the world. The, the hardest places to find healthy food is the Muslim world. The hardest place to take care of yourself physically is when we're among, among Muslims. I mean, the village is a different story. You eat healthy food, you eat pure food there. But when you go to the cities and things like that, it's the most difficult thing. That's the most difficult thing. You know what's even crazier? You go to, I mean, I travel a lot, so you know, you go to go somewhere, stay in a hotel, and you say, so, you know, where's the gym? It's on the third floor, whatever. Okay, so you can go exercise a little bit, whatever. When you go to the Muslim world, you know what? Policy everywhere? Oh, the gym closes at 8 p.m. When does it open? 10 a.m. <laughs> to make sure no one uses it. <laughs> oh, what's your problem? <laughs> We'll make special accommodation for you. We'll open it for you. So thank you. Thank you. I was going to break in anyway, but yes. <laughs> so, but anyway, just on a side note, Kahal is actually the, the, the peak of one's strength. Not the time where they start thinking, you know, the, my days of strength are gone. It's actually maturity physically and also um, in, in, the, in the mental sense. Now, she responds... And she says, and all of this has been told to her. He's going to speak to people in the, in the cradle. He's going to speak to people in mature age. Again, that mature age might be a reference to his return. There's another subtle implication. We won't get through the, the, you know, the, all of the rest of the next ayah. But I did want to, I, I didn't even finish this ayah actually. And he's among good people. Uh, and interestingly, it's kahlan wa salihin. Which is interesting, one dimension of that parallels Yahya alayhi salam. He was also Nabiya min salihin And he's also min salihin So there's actually an echo of the same wording, right? So Yahya alayhi salam is on the same side as Isa alayhi salam and is siding with the good people. I told you about the internal conflict that was going to take place within the Israelites. And there's going to be Amanat ta'ifa wa kafarat ta'ifa. Quran says a group will believe, a group will disbelieve. That's going to happen. He's going to be on the right side of things. But the other interesting thing is um, everything that's been mentioned, and I'll list them for you. He's a word from Allah that suggests that he's a miracle. He's going to speak to people as a baby that suggests that he's a miracle. He's going to be sent as, or he's going to tell, turn the shape of a, a clay shape of a bird, blow into it by Allah's permission. It's going to turn into a bird that suggests a, a clear miracle from Allah. is coming later on. I'm going to heal the leper, meaning the terminally ill, and the, the blind and the terminally ill. I'm going to cure them by Allah's permission. I'll give the dead life. I'll bring the dead back to life by Allah's permission. I'll tell you what you're going to eat, not what you ate. Like if somebody comes smelling like pizza, you're like, hold on. Pizza. How did you know? No, no, no. Mata kulun. What you're gonna eat. Like I'm gonna tell you what you're going to eat. 
And they're like, we'll see. Let's see what the wife cooked. And you go back home and uh, how did he know? And he'll tell like groups of people, this is what you're going to eat, this is what you're going to eat, this is what you're going to eat. And I'll also tell you what you have buried in your homes. Adhikar is actually, you know, back in the day, people didn't have safety, safety deposit boxes. So if they had important, valuable items, they would dig a hole in the ground somewhere and they would bury it. And that's where they keep it. That's their security box. He says, I will tell you what you're going to eat and I also tell you what you have stored in your homes. <clears throat> what you have buried, the secrets buried in your homes. I will tell you those. Miracle again. Multiple miracles, right? I've come to you with so many these these miracles. Now, all of these are miraculous. Except one. Which is, I mean, I'm going to speak to people as a... Allah says he'll speak to people as a baby. That's pretty miraculous. He'll speak to people at the age of 40. Well, everybody does. That ain't so special. Everything else is pretty special. Do you notice? Everything else is divine intervention. It can't be done without divine intervention. And the only one thing that doesn't seem like it's... Like some incredible thing. Whoa, he's 40 and he's talking to people? That's... You know, so how in the world is that a miracle? Well, the only way you can think of that as consistent with the rest of the passage is if you would think of kahlan as something miraculous also. And the only way you can think of kahlan as miraculous is if his 40 was like thousands of years after he was 39. You see what I'm saying? So he'd have to have been... Like that's the only way you can consistently say everything mentioned here is a miracle from Allah. Otherwise, everything else is a miracle, but just this regular thing, he's just, yeah, he talked to people and he's 40. That doesn't need to be said. Like, as a matter of fact, you could say he will speak to people even in the cradle and you don't have to say any more because the fact that he'll speak to people later on is obvious. There's no need to be, no need for that to even be said. But Allah does not speak extra. Allah does not say what doesn't need to be said. Everything has a purpose. So even from the point of view of the purposelessness of speech, this, this purposefulness of speech, from that point of view also, Kahlan seems to suggest a miraculous return and him speaking. The other interesting thing is Allah did not hear, Allah, as opposed to, you know, Nabiyyam min salihin You noticed before, Nabiyyam min salihin a messenger among good a prophet among good people. That was a description of who? Yahya alayhi salam. It's really interesting that Allah did not use the same description for Isa alayhi salam. Even though they're right after each other. And minas salihin is used. And if minas salihin is used, you would expect, why not use the whole phrase, which, what phrase? Nabiya minas salihin. No, Allah skipped the word Nabi. He skipped the word Nabi. And later on in the passage, he will say, وَرَسُولًا إِلَىٰ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ A messenger to Bani Israel. Not a messenger among good people, but a messenger to Bani Israel. That's important. See, for Yahya salam, the only people he will ever be in contact with is Bani Israel. And so it doesn't have to be said that he's a messenger to Bani Israel. He's among good people. Everybody knows good people among who? Bani Israel. If you say about Isa salam, a prophet among good people, if you say that, isn't it, isn't it the case that he's coming back and when he comes back, he's a, then he wouldn't be a prophet among... First of all, he wouldn't be a prophet at the time. And second of all, he wouldn't just be among Bani Israel. So what does Allah do? Allah re restricts 
his role as a messenger to being a messenger to Bani Israel. But if you go back to the ayah when he speaks at an older age, at the age of 40, what does Allah say? وَكَهْلًا وَمِنَ At an older age, at a mature age, and he's just among the righteous. Not a prophet among the righteous, just among the righteous. You see that? Which protects him from being construed as a messenger when he comes back, because the, the final messenger is who? Rasulullah So now he's actually not considered among, you know, he, there are four ranks. There's an nabiyin As-Siddiqeen, As-Shuhada, As-Salihin. Okay, he's no longer a Nabi. As-Siddiq has to be in the presence of a Prophet. He's no longer a Siddiq. And Siddiq is also someone who, you can say in modern language, converts. That's also a Siddiq, someone who accepts the truth. He's not a Siddiq, because he's not accepting it, he already knows it. A Shaheed would mean he's martyred, but we know he won't be martyred. The only rank left is what? Women as so, so it's a really subtle and brief and concise way of describing the return of Isa from the Qur'an's point of view, the fact that he will be among the righteous. Now, this on the side takes us to a, uh, an honor given to Rasulullah A long time ago, I taught a course called Honoring the Messenger and you know, when people love our Messenger وسلم, then they make nasheed about him and we send salawat upon him and all of this stuff. And I wanted to dedicate a course just to how does the Qur'an honor Rasulullah And there are so many ways in which our Messenger has been honored in the Qur'an. There are incredible ways. I like literally broke it into chapters and did this whole day-long thing about how does the Qur'an honor the Messenger But one particular thing is that there was one gift that Allah had given to all messengers and all major rusul that the next one would come and confirm the last one was also a messenger like they would you know they would do tasdeeq of one another okay messengers would be doing tasdeeq of one another our messenger is the last messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam which obviously means nobody else is coming to confirm that he is in fact the Messenger of Allah. And Allah in His grand scheme did not even skip that honor, which otherwise would be impossible for our Messenger And Isa comes back as a Salih and says, yes, that is a Messenger of Allah. It's, <laughs> it's just mind-boggling how Allah does not skip any of the, the like the, these medals of honor that are given to our messenger, including his tasdeeq by another former messenger, you know, subhanallah, that he comes from the past into the future and says, Yep, that was a messenger of Allah. Just, just remarkable. Okay, so, also the word nas here has then wider implications. He'll talk to people now, but he'll actually talk to a lot more than just Bani Israel, right? And he's gonna be, it's gonna have broader implications when he comes back and he speaks. Also, kallama, you know, takallama ma'an nas, aw tahaddatha ilan nas, or kallaman nas, there's a difference. Takallama means to talk, and to talk to someone, they're talking to you, you're talking to them. That's what takallama means. Kallama actually means the one who initiates the conversation. 
When kallama is used, the allama form, the, the fa'ala form is used, the one who initiates the conversation. Isa alayhi salam is the one initiating da'wah. He's not only speaking when spoken to, he's initiating. As a matter of fact, that's what he did since birth. He wasn't asked to speak. Okay. How is he going to speak, the one who's in the cradle? And he said, oh yeah? And then he spoke. <laughs> and then he spoke out. So he's been doing that since Mahad and then Kahlan wa min salihin and he is among and he's among the righteous. Qalat, she responds, Rabbi anna yakunu li walad, my master. Now compare this yet this is deliberate echoing of the words of Zakaria alayhi salam. Rabbi anna yakunu li ghulamun he said. Master, how am I going to have a boy? Remember? How am I going or he didn't say it in a matter of shock or disbelief. He said it, "Oh my god, how?" in a happy way. And he said, boy. He said, boy. Boy is different from walad. Nowadays, walad is boy. Like, nowadays, if my kids were messing around, I'd say, hey, ya walad. That walad is boy. But walad actually comes from wilada. Wilada means newborn. How will I have even a baby? How in the world will I have a baby? Now, see, Zakaria should not be shocked that he will have a boy of the age of 10. He should be shocked at the fact that he'll even have a baby. But he's not. He just says, a boy? Really? A boy? He's going to get to that age where he can do all this stuff. In other words, it's not actually shock. Or it's shock in, the, in a positive sense. Maryam Salamun Aleyha has been told that this son of hers that is going to come is going to reach not just you know, uh, you know, the age of being a ghulam, he's going to have kahl. Right? He's going to get into the, his 40s. But she's still stuck on, wait, did you say baby? <laughs> so she's using the word walad. I hope you appreciate that she's using not the word ghulam but the word walad. Or even even, she's using the word walad. Why? Because just that whole thing about how am I going to be giving birth is the part that she's stuck on. And she's actually in shock. And she's worried because this is something that is worrisome. Obviously, it has implications. And she recognizes those implications immediately. Walam yamsasni bashar. No man has touched me. Bashar, interestingly enough, comes from bishr, which means skin. Uh, you know, no skin has ever touched me also in, in, in a very subtle literary way. I've never had any contact. And so no mortal being has ever touched me. He said, that is exactly how you, the key at the end, right? That, that, that key, that is how to you. But that is how for you, meaning Maryam, Allah, in fact, He creates whatever He wants. Notice with Zakariyah, here Allah says, What's the difference? Yahya was going to be born, Allah does what He wants. Allah does what He wants. Isa is going to be born, Allah doesn't do what He wants, Allah creates what he wants because the Christians, some of them, will take Allah does what he wants and then they take the verb to do and make very dirty meanings from it. You understand? And so there should be no possibility that the word do, because an act could be any act. An act could be any act. And Allah does not allow that. Allah will not allow begotten son possibilities in the text. What's the word instead of يَفْعَلُ يَخْلُقُ Now you can't misconstrue it. 
This is how Allah creates whatever He wants. <laughs> As opposed to this is how Allah does whatever He wants. Imagine if the ayah here says, Somebody with that mindset, with that theological background will say, See, God says He does what He wants, and He did. And that's how he had begotten son. Allah. Allah protected it even from the way, from the time the angels spoke to Maryam salamun alayha, that possibility was rejected. This isn't just to clarify that to us today. This is Allah quoting what actually happened. If these words were retained originally, then nobody would have said Isa salam is the begotten son of God because the original conversation was, this is how not God does what He wants, but this is how God creates what He wants. So every word here is like absolutely remarkable. So much of the confusion that's been created around it, around Him and His birth, is just, it, it flies away. Because of the words Allah uses. When he decides a matter, then all he has to say to it is to be, to come into existence. Kun meaning to come into existence. You know, there's kana that is tam, and there's kana that is naqis. Okay? Now, what does that mean for those of you that don't know the Arabic language? Kana means was. Was. Now, you don't ever say he was, because that's incomplete. He was sleeping. He was tired. He was a teacher. Like in Urdu, say ta. That by itself doesn't actually have a full meaning. That's the naqis meaning. The tam meaning is actually to exist. Khan actually means he existed. He was actually there. Reality. And that's why reality around us is called kaun, existence. The word for existence in Arabic is kaun. And from it, the, the larger existence, things around us, the universe, the term became kainat. Okay? Kainat, things that exist. That's not from the naqis meaning, that's from the tam meaning. Now, here's the thing. If you translate this as the, the tam meaning, it means whenever Allah wants a decision to be made, when He has decreed a decision, qada amran, فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ Then all He has to do is say to it, the only thing He does is says to it, exist. فَيَكُونُ Then it comes into existence. Exist and it comes into existence. And the other, if you look at it from the naqis meaning, it actually suggests that everything is incomplete without the word of Allah. You know, in, in, in grammar, in Nahu, they say that kana is the mubtada, and then it has a khabar. Right? He was, and then you say a teacher. He was a person. He was whatever. In that sense, Allah's word is the mubtada to all things. And we are all just a khabar to that mubtada. <laughs> All of existence is just the predicate of the statement of Allah to be. To be. It's a really beautiful way to like contemplate what's what what reality is. All of reality is a manifestation of the word of Allah. And in that sense, what she is being told is this is no surprising because all of reality is just the word of Allah. And by the way, this discussion with her started, this congratulations to her started with I'm congratulating you of a word from Allah. And it ends with, Allah is going to give you the word. Allah, all He has to do is say a word. Kun. 
and he comes into existence. Fayakunu. Interestingly, also, Fayakunu, uh, some have taken it kind of as a departure, kind of an istinaf from what it's being said here, that it's referring directly to Isa alayhi I don't see it very directly in the text though. It's referring generally into whatever decision, whatever matter Allah decides, He says to it, be, and comes into existence. Others have looked at it as, be, and He still exists. Meaning, Isa alayhi salam still exists. Or He's still around. But that's too much of a stretch, I feel, from the, the immediate text, uh, to look at it that way. Inshallah ta'ala, in, uh, in the coming sessions, I will be talking to you about the difference between qaba and amr also. Because you know, you say, إِذَا قَضَى قَضَاءً أَوْ إِذَا أَمَرَ أَمْرًا أَوْ إِذَا دَبَّرَ أَمْرًا But he says, إِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا So he combines two meanings that both actually mean decision. You know, a qadi gives a qada and a qadi gives an amr. And they seem to be very similar words together, but Allah fused them together in this phrase, إِذَا قَضَى أَمْرًا and thus, when two words come together that are similar, the point is to highlight that they are in fact different, each of them bringing their own dimension to the discourse. So I'll be talking to you about that tomorrow, inshallah. But for now, I want to leave you with the following. There's two issues left to share with you for today. And he will have taught him, or he will teach him the book, wisdom, the wisdom, al-hikmah, وَالتَّوْرَاتِ and the Torah وَالْإِنْجِيلِ and the Injil. Now some have looked at this as عَطَفْ bayan, meaning Kitab is Torah and Injil is Hikmah. Let me put it to you in easy English translation. He will teach him the book and the wisdom, that is to say he will teach him the Torah and the Injil. Book, wisdom, Torah, Injil. If you look at it in that sense, you appreciate something about how Allah refers to Kitab and Hikmah all over the Qur'an. Ibrahim salam asked, a messenger should come, that this final messenger will come, he should teach them the, the, the book and the wisdom. Now, what does book and wisdom refer to? Obviously, those are easy self-explanatory words, but there are other dimensions to them. One dimension to them is Torah is laws, and Torah is ilm, it's actually ilm. And Injil is the spirit behind those laws. It's actually the connection to Allah, the faith in Allah, the gratitude to Allah, the attitude towards Allah. That's captured inside the Injil or restored by the Injil. That's the hikmah behind the law. What happens is, you know, if you've heard the words before, letter of the law, spirit of the law. The law is in a sense blind. That's why, you know, in court systems, they have this lady holding the two things and she's always blindfolded because the law is blind, right? Um, somebody keeps sending me these videos on Facebook of this elderly judge, I think he's in Massachusetts somewhere, he's really lenient, right? People come to him and he says, hey, how old are you? Okay, just don't do it again, you know? The, according to the law, if you want to go Judge Judy style, if you want to go to the law, by the law, then you throw the book at him. But sometimes there's a wisdom in going easy on people. Sometimes there's a wisdom in forgiving. Sometimes there's a wisdom in being lenient. Right? There are exceptions. So it's, the purpose of the law is to actually protect society. Right? It's to protect society. And how is, it's not just what the rule says, it's how the rule is implemented. Right? Those are two different things. What happens to believers sometimes is they're so concerned about what the rule says. And they're not concerned at all about how 
it's implemented, right? And that, that's a, there's those two things together are revelation, meaning the law is kitab, but without hikmah, you can't ever actually see the kitab implemented. Allah could have revealed alcohol is forbidden. Don't drink wine. He made reference to it. The first time he made reference to it, he made reference to it kind of in passing in Medina. And then he again made reference to it and says, لا تقربوا الصلاة وأنتم سكارة حتى تعلموا ما تقولون سورة النساء Don't go near prayer while you're drunk. At least while you're drunk. Now, when he says the, the sin in drinking is greater than the benefit in drinking, anybody who has enough wisdom will say, I'm going to stop drinking. But someone who doesn't, well, he didn't really say, he didn't give like a verdict that it's haram. He said this got some benefits too. He did say that too. So I'm not going to give it up completely. But I see what he's saying. I should cut it down. Later on he says, okay, don't pray while you're drunk. Okay, at least when you're drunk, until you know what you're saying. Don't be inebriated when you go pray. Right? So now, how many prayers do a Muslim, does a Muslim have? Five. And they're not that far apart. And if somebody's drunk, how long does it take to get off? Uh, take some time. So if you're going to hold on to salah, your schedule for drinking is kind of messed up. <laughs> you can't really do it. Right? Because if you do, you're going to end up missing the prayer. And prayer is more important. So practically making it impossible to... You know, and then later, finally, he drops something that is the most shocking. He calls it "rijsum min amal shaytani fajtani buhu fahalantum muntahun." Suratul Maida, one of the last revelations. Imagine of the twenty-three year seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. This is year twenty-three. Year twenty-three. He says this is an abomination from the work of the devil. Are you going to stay away from or what? This is an evil from the work of the devil. Now, there's a difference between pigs are not the work of the devil. You understand? He, he did not say that a dead animal is from the work of the devil. It's haram. Blood is not the work of the devil. It's haram, but it's not the work of the devil. This alcohol, one of the things, is actually an abomination, a filth, from the work of shaitan. The question is, if Allah tells me that it's the work of shaitan, was it the work of shaitan in year one of the seerah? Or did that just become the work of shaitan in year 23? If Allah is describing this as a filth from the work of shaitan, it's always been that. It didn't just become that when Surah Al-Ma'idah was revealed, it's always been that. You understand that? And even though it's always been rijsum in amal shaitan when did he tell us to completely stay away from it? And this, think about this, this is the best of all generations. The Sahaba were the best of all generations. These are the people of Samirna wa Ata'na, we hear and we obey. These are the people that are our role models. These are the people that brought about the greatest change on earth. On earth. And you know what? Before they can change the world, they had to change. And they couldn't change overnight. They needed time. And Allah saw that they need 23 years. And some things are easy to change immediately, and some things take some time to change. That is not law, that is what? 
That's wisdom. Allah in His wisdom decided this change will not come overnight. Imagine for now, some people argue that the ayat about you know the, the, the stages of the prohibition of alcohol are all mansukh. They don't apply anymore. You, now Allah said it's haram, so it's haram. I would argue if we went to some village somewhere in, you know, or some, some, some town that has a brewery in the middle of the United States and the entire town decided to become Muslim tomorrow. Imagine that happened. If they decided to become Muslim tomorrow and then they were told, by the way, you can't drink. Haram. Absolutely can't drink. These are the people that have been drinking their entire life. This slips them into kids. Ace, boy, go hand me a beer. The kid brings a beer from the fridge. Okay, have a sip. <laughs> this is their life. And we tell them overnight, stop drinking. Because if you're a Muslim, you can't. Tell me, what does Aisha anha say if the first thing that we were told was to stop drinking? What would we have said? Wallahi khamra abadan. We swear to God we will never leave alcohol ever. This is the words of Aisha anha. If had the first thing been don't drink, we would have said never. Forget it. We're not leaving it. You know what this Islam thing? I, I, you know, people come to you and say, you, you know, Islam, I like it. But this pork thing, man, I got to have my pork chops. <laughs> well, congratulations. Eat that and put fire in your belly. You're going to hell. <laughs> That's not wisdom. That isn't wisdom. Allah revealed in stages to the best generation. In stages. How is it that we ignore that and say now the religion is only about kitab? It's, th think about this. Zina has always been haram. Zina was never halal. It's something that every prophet talked about. Every book has taught. Medina was full of zina. When the prophet moved there, وسلم, it was full of zina. As a matter of fact, Surah An-Nisa had to deal with it. Surah An-Nur had to deal with it. A, a, a sahabi came to the Prophet and said, I like this girl, I want to marry her. Okay. Uh, Rasulullah was, is it okay if I can marry her? Yeah, yeah, why, why shouldn't you be able to marry? Well, she's a prostitute. Is that okay? Is her profession okay? Still okay if I marry? The sahabi didn't even think this would be an issue. Because they come from a background and that cult, crazy culture where this wasn't a problem. And actually ayat had to be revealed. That you can't do that. That you can't. But until then, nothing had been said. Until then, nothing had been said. The early laws of a young man and a young woman having committed, you know, zina. What did Allah say? He said about them, you know, if they have committed it, If two of them have committed it among you, cause them pain. I gave khutbah about this a few weeks ago. Cause them pain. What did that mean? What does the Sahaba think cause them pain means? Ibn Abbas says, yell at them real good. Another Sahabi says, al-izdijar. A good scolding. How could you? Shame on you. Don't ever do that again. Another said, no, no, no. This means physical pain. Okay, what physical pain? Let's take a stick and hit the bottom of their foot. 
when we think of cause them pain, what do we think of? <laughs> Throw them off a cliff, man. <laughs> cause them pain. The point was, and by the way, those were the people that have done it in public. If they did something like that in public. Because if they have Seek four witnesses against them. Four witnesses means at least four people saw you doing this nonsense. That means you were in public somewhere. It's impossible for four people to see that unless it's out in the open. And so Allah says about them, you know, give them a good yelling. And then after that, what should you do? I think after you yell at them, we should probably, you know, execute them publicly. What does he say? فَإِنْتَابَ وَأَصْلَحَ فَأَعْرِضُ عَنْهُمَا If they both make tawbah, if they both fix themselves up, leave them alone. Quran says, leave them alone. Oh, fine, those ayat are mansukh. We don't apply that rule anymore as the general law of Islam. But, does it have a place? Is there circumstances that occur? Are there, are there, are there, is there a new generation of Muslims that is as unaware of Islam as the first generation of Muslims who was unaware of Islam? And if we try to drop on them, we're going to lose the deen altogether. Like altogether. There's a way to implement deen. That's not just al-kitab, but it's also al-hikmah. Isa salam was given. They had the kitab. The, the, the Banu Israel, they had the kitab. They had Torah. But they had removed all dimension of what? Hikmah from it. And Injil came, and Injil, Isa salam, is constantly reminding them of the hikmah behind the kitab. What does the Qur'an do? The Qur'an, a serious student of Qur'an will know, the Qur'an, even the laws of the Qur'an, are not the same as a book of fiqh. They're not. In a book of fiqh, you'll find this is wajib, this is fard, this is halal, this is haram, this is makruh. Done. Finished. In Qur'an, Allah will give the kitab, the law, then he'll say, this is the hikmah. And he says, don't lose sight of the hikmah. Here's the law again. Don't lose sight of the hikmah. I'll, I'll give you one quick example of that. One of the most common questions that are asked are about, you know, husband and wife have an argument. And then the husband says, I divorce you, 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 I divorce you. You want three? I'll give you 33. And then he calls the imam and says, I was mad. I said it three times. Well, actually, no, I said it 33 times. But it still counts as one, right? not that much because Quran says that you can have it twice that you can take back the third time you can't take back what does Allah say about this sort of thing he didn't just give the law he said don't make a mockery of Allah's ayat don't make a joke out of this this is serious and whatever Allah is revealing to you of the book and the wisdom Allah is doing that to counsel you, to advise you. Be cautious of Allah. Allah knows what you've got going on, going on inside you. Be careful about Him. Be on guard. Be on guard, be on guard, be on guard, be on, and within an ayah. Multiple times. Why? Because Allah knew in His wisdom, this is something people will not be on their guard. Unless they read Qur'an. Now we don't, we, we take the rule from the Qur'an 
and we tell people three times is the one everybody knows the three time rule does anybody know the actual word of Allah and how he talked about it no if they actually knew the word of Allah and how he talked about it maybe a you know a marriage orientation this is what Allah says about this this is what he says just be careful about this isn't that a little bit valuable is there some, some, some value to the words of Allah and how that impacts how we live our lives? So the word of Allah is full of wisdom. So what, what used to be Torah and Injil actually together became Quran. Then you go back to the beginning of the surah and you appreciate something. نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بِنَيْدَيْهِ وَأَنزَلَ التَّوْرَاتِ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ Before he sent Torah and Injil, this time is just this book, that's it, Al-Kitab. And he called it Al-Furqan at the end again. Why? Because th this, this book has both of those dimensions and it's very powerful. So that's one dimension of hikmah, the spirit behind the law, the ease with which one should implement the law, the case-by-case the, the case scenario, this is part of hikmah. The other part of hikmah, of course, is not losing the purpose behind the law. The purpose behind the law. So that's the hikmah Quran teaches that Isa alayhi salam taught in, in Injil. I'll give you one or two examples of that and we'll close today's discussion. And that, that's as follows. So we have five pillars. Everybody, every child knows five pillars of deen. Practically there are four acts. One of them is a declaration but the other are four acts. Right? So there's prayer, there's zakat, there's hajj, there's fasting. Allah didn't just give us these four acts. Uh, and others, but Allah didn't just give us these four acts. He, for each of them, He told us there's a purpose. There's a, uh, there's a purpose. I'm giving you a car, it can go on the road, but the purpose is, you better get to the office. You better make it to campus. That's the purpose of the car. Are there multiple roads you can take? Yeah. But if you understand the purpose of the, the why your dad gave you the car, you'll go straight where? To the college. Allah says, I gave you prayer. But He didn't just say, I gave you prayer. He said, prayer has a purpose. What happens with us is, we keep the prayer and we lose the purpose. So, well, for example, aqimis salata li Establish salah so you can remember me. Not just remember me when you're praying, when you're done praying, you'll remember me. When you're done praying, you'll remember me. He says, for example, about the prayer, he says, Tanha anil fahsha'i wal mulkat, one of its purposes. Prayer will prevent you from doing shameless things, from all forms of shamelessness. Prayer remains, shamelessness is still there, lewdness is speeches, vile words are still there, eyes aren't being guarded. Tanha anil fahsha'i wal mulkat, and all kinds of evil. The guy is running a liquor store, but it's Ramadan, so he says, closed for prayer. And he'll go and pray. How did it prevent evil? The purpose of prayer is to prevent evil from happening. How is it preventing? The guy beats his wife, curses his children, and then makes taraweeh. How is it preventing evil? So what happens is, kitab remains, hikmah is gone. Fasting, Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Purpose of fasting, you become grateful. If you spent the entire month complaining about how hungry you are, <laughs> how many days left? The fasting is still there. The purpose is gone. 
The kitab is there, the hikmah is gone. You understand what I'm saying to you? For every one of the rituals Allah taught us, there was a purpose. The purpose is a kind of a sentiment, an attitude, a character change, a point of view change. That actually comes from wisdom. What happened to Banu Israel? They kept the law, they lost the wisdom. They looked like they observed the law on the outside a lot. The halal has to be there. This has, the ingredients have to be there. This, time, this is the time of the prayer. This is the athkar for the prayer. These are the specifics. All the specifics were there, but the, the reason you do it was gone. This is what Isa salam came to restore. This was his purpose. By the way, if he only had wisdom, then they'll say he doesn't even know the kitab. He doesn't even understand fiqh and sharia and the rules. He just says, oh, everything is just, you know, so long as you're grateful, you don't have to pray. Because the people become like that, right? When the law is taken advantage of so much, listen, I know I'm taking over my time. Let's take two, three minutes to explain this. But it's an important consequence. What happens when people in the Muslim community, and the Jews of the time were the Muslim community, so I'm talking about both right now, okay, at the same time. What happens in a Muslim community when the, the spirit goes away, the hikmah goes away, and all you have left is the laws? Then the next generation starts seeing, man, these people pray, but they're so messed up. These people have long beards, but they're so messed up. These ladies wear hijab, but they're the most vile women I've ever seen. They see that, and they say, you know what? These people think they're good just because they've memorized the Qur'an. These people think they're good just because they look religious, they act religious, they say the religious words that we don't know. This is why they're good. You know what? That's not what being good is. Being good means being a nice person. Being good means being kind. Being good means being nice to your neighbor. I'm all of those things already. I don't need religion to be a good person. I don't need to look like them, talk like them, act like them to be a good person. I have, I, I have the hikmah without the kitab. You understand? So what happens then is, as a reaction, they say the kitab is messed up. Because the people who look like they follow the kitab are messed up, it must mean the kitab and its following messes you up. So don't do that, just go for the, the spirit of it. Because fasting makes you grateful. I don't fast, but I'm still pretty grateful. The purpose has been achieved. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I, don't, you know, I don't remember Allah through prayer, but I thank God all the time, in my own way. Purpose has been achieved, the purpose has been achieved. It was important for Isa salam to, to be said about Isa salam. Allah will teach him Torah, which is what? The law and the, the hikmah, the injil. What happened with the Jews? Only kitab. What happened with the Christians? Only hikmah. We don't need the law. What happens within the Muslim community? Forget. Forget outside. Inside the Muslim community. There are groups of us. All kitab. As a reaction, there are groups among us. All hikmah. And that is a manifestation of our distance from Quran itself. The further we get from Quran, you become either this way or you become that way. And the only way you can restore that is the word of Allah becoming central again. That's when those two things come together again. It's a profound thing that Allah Azza wa captures in that brief phrase, Al-Kitaba Al-Hikmah. That's Al-Kitaba Al-Hikmah. So here, وَيُعَلِّمُهُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ وَالْتَوْرَاتِ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ 
I'll leave the rest for tomorrow, inshallah. Barakallahu alaykum, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.